I was getting my notes up here and ready to go. And I have this this eBay search here in my list where I was looking for a Canon AF35L. Sorry, AF35M, which is a fixed lens point and shoot Canon camera. Is that the one that has autofocus? With autofocus. Didn't know that was possible on film cameras. Yeah, it's a film camera. Mm-hmm. Apparently, this is a whole world. And most of the time, these cameras don't even have manual modes. Ooh. They're like straight up automatic. So it's basically like a disposable camera. But yeah. But you can change the film. It's like a disposable camera, but you can set the ISO of the film. And they have 2.8 full frame lenses on them. Huh. And so like this is a 35 or 38 millimeter f2.8 automatic camera. It's got a flash, autofocus. This seems right up your alley. It's it's just so perfect. I'm like been talking about how I want to like an X100V or a full frame point and shoot something, and it's like why hasn't Sony you know replaced the R1R or whatever it's called? And like the only other options a Leica and Leica super super expensive. Like what are we gonna do? The answer is just shoot film. Just shoot film. Are you familiar with the Contax T2? No, I'm not. Daniel. This is this is like the cult camera. <laughs> if you're looking for an automatic point and shoot film camera, which I'm not, but if I was, and your budget was like three or four thousand dollars, but you're not a Leica guy, you're really into champagne colored, like old school cameras. Mm, yes, yes, quite. The Contax D2. <laughs> now I know. So you're gonna buy one of these things or what? Oh, oh man, not the Contax, but. <laughs> A automatic. No, no, the, yeah, the, the context is like way too expensive. Actually, you might be able to get those for like two thousand dollars. There's a there's I have, I have a whole list here. I don't, I don't even have my notes in front of me. I'm gonna pull my notes, Daniel. How dare you? Okay, I'm looking at the Nikon version and the Canon version of these like point and shoot film cameras. I kind of want something that shoots manual, but I feel like if I'm looking for a little point and shoot. My main thing is I want autofocus because I just hate manual manually focusing. Yeah, I mean, you already cameras. have a manual film camera if you want that. Exactly. Which the Olympus 35RC, Have you? I sent this. Did you look at pictures of this camera? I don't think I did. I think you sent me the Canon one, the one that you bid on on okay. eBay. Okay. If, if, if anyone's listening to this and you're driving, pull over. Look up on Olympus 35RC. This is the cutest looking film camera. <laughs> it may be the smallest full manual film camera available. Look how cute this thing is. Oh, wow. Just look at it. It's that, so tiny. That is really small. It's so small. <laughs> That's not even a half frame camera, Daniel. It's pretty cool. It's got like a 2.8 lens on it. It's just like itty bitty. Super cute. But that's not one that I'm looking at because it doesn't have autofocus. Mm. I'm looking at the Nikon Pikachu. Not Pikachu. Pikachu. L35AF and the Canon A35M. And I think you actually bid on one of these on eBay, didn't you? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, Multiple yeah. at this point, probably. Uh, No, just the one. And then I was like, maybe I should do more research. And then I went deep on point and shoot film camera <laughs> parts of the internet. And oh, my gosh. <laughs> it's a lot out there, huh? This is a whole world, Daniel. You don't even know. <laughs> Like, there's, like, YouTube channels and Reddits devoted to this. 
there are so many point and shoot film cameras that exist and they have all these different features and like different arrangements and some have slide over covers and some have pop out lenses. It's like, it's a whole world. And the people are like, do I want one that auto winds? Do I want to wind it myself? Do I need to have manual override controls? Does this have aperture priority or is it just full, full manual? What's the top ISO setting? It's just, it's a whole world. It sounds like your mind is exploding with ideas here. There's just, there's a lot. <laughs> and like the reason that contacts one is, is the, the bee's knees is because it has a Zeiss lens. You know, you, you never know what you're going to get. Like some of these have really good lenses on them. Some of them not so much. But I feel like the Canon one is perfect for me because my other film camera is a Canon. And this one, I think I can get it for like less than 100 bucks. I mean, the price. I feel like $50 the, is probably maybe where I'm going to get it. At. The price is hard to beat. It's pretty good. If, if, I, can, if I can find one. I do think it's funny that you're talking about like staying in the Canon ecosystem when you're talking about a camera with a fixed lens. And I mean, it doesn't film. have to be the Canon. Like... The Nikon might be interesting, but the Canon one seems kind of, uh, okay. So a lot of this comes down to visual style. Like it it had, like it has to be a form factor that I can put in my pocket for sure. But also it's got to look cool. I mean, what, what am I doing? If I'm just going, I'm not going to buy some just rando point and shoot film camera, Daniel. I I need to be able to put it on a strap and wear it around my neck, you know, above nipple line (laughs) and, uh, just be awesome. It's a fashion statement is what you're saying. Yeah. I'm going to go short strap on this puppy. Man. I'm going to look so cool. If you say so. No, just, ima- just imagine it. Here, I'll imagine it with you. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome back to the Camera Gear Podcast. I'm Daniel. And I'm Lucas. And we're here today to talk about the gear, software, and techniques we use to shoot photos and video. There's a lot of these that are like parts only, and I'm wondering if I should should get one and fix it, and that way I have street cred oh. in addition to the other street cred by just having the camera in general. You're like, oh, where'd you get that? Oh, I bought it off eBay, wiped off some battery acid, and now it works. Swapped out a microchip. Do you feel like you have the skill set and experience to repair a film camera? Do you doubt me, Daniel? <laughs> Because no, absolutely not. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, like, we'll see where it goes. <laughs> if you say so. You'll have to report back on that one. Yep. I think I won't. <laughs> don't tempt me with a good oh, time. I know you will. <laughs> All right. What are we talking about today? Uh, no, I'm trying to, I, I was too busy looking at eBay and I didn't pull up the show notes. Oh my gosh. Oh, oh I, I have a pre-show here. Oh, no, wait, we're, we're past, past that, we're, we're way past that. We're past that. Okay, well, we'll what, talk- what is it? Anyway? Let's hear it anyway. Okay, though. so I was I was browsing the internet for camera stuff as as I normally do, and I learned that the that the mine I didn't know this the mine car chase scene from Temple of Doom mm-hmm. was shot on a Nikon F three. Interesting, which is a DS like an SLR film camera, but they modified the the film like intake portion of the camera where you capture, and they put this uh, like film reel modifier or something on there. They basically took a film camera and they modified it to run motion picture through so that they had a small enough camera in order to capture the two scale stop motion. Well, it wasn't stop motion, but the the two scale mine cart scene with with like the moving camera and that sort of thing because I couldn't fit a big whole camera in there. Interesting. I was going to ask why they did that, but it makes sense. Yeah. I just, I love it whenever people 
oh, I want to shoot this thing and the thing doesn't exist. And so now I'm going to build my own custom camera. Like the stuff that we talked about with Slumdog Millionaire where yeah. they like had a, but a Mac mini or something in the mm-hmm. backpack that was on like dry ice. <laughs> That's cool. Yeah. And so th- this is this is cool too. They modified an old uh, Nikon F3 film camera that is to be a motion neat. picture camera. That is pretty cool. I like that. And I feel like I want to do the same thing. <laughs> I want to like buy an old film camera and modify it to be like a film, like sorry, like a like a film camera, but not a film camera, like a motion film camera. <laughs> Am I making sense? Think of it. Think of it like I, I understand the, the words you were saying. I don't know if your logic makes sense. Think to of me. the hybrid mirrorless equivalent of a film camera. Yes, I understand what you would be trying to do. What but if I, I would not say that it makes sense? To what me. if I was successfully able to do that? I could shoot stills or video, but on film. <laughs> <laughs> It's the stupidest thing. You already complained about the cost of getting film developed, and now you're going to start shooting video on film? Valid. Yeah, really good point. (laughs) That's a really good point, Daniel. (laughs) How does that that work? Do they, like, how do you develop a motion picture reel? Well, I mean, it's kind of the same thing of, like, you know, this is moving through, and then it has, like, a a rotating shutter. I, I, No, I'm not asking how it's exposed. I'm asking how do you develop it? How do you develop it? Yeah. I think you get the whole reel developed. And they basically run it through the same process. But I mean, is it basically like they develop each frame? Like it's, it can't be like that. No, like, I mean, even whenever you develop film, you don't develop the whole, you develop the whole roll. Yeah. It's like, here's a roll of film and they uh-huh. dunk the whole thing in the solution. So I mm-hmm. think it's like kind of a similar process of they develop the whole roll through whatever, like roll it on to roll it off of the reel onto whatever you know system is going to be then they're going to expose it to whatever chemicals they need to expose it to, mm-hmm. to and wash it and all that stuff in order to develop it and then they put it back on a reel and, and then, then they take mu- it to editing and they cut it all up you must have to i mean it's basically like scanning a negative but you you do something that can do that on a reel right sure yeah i'm just saying it seems expensive and challenging and i'm not sure that fits where you're at with film right now Maybe it doesn't, maybe it doesn't. <laughs> We're going to find out. <laughs> if you say so. This is actually a Kickstarter I'm starting. Oh, another Kickstarter. <laughs> yeah. is that, that feels like a new corner of this podcast. <laughs> Lucas's latest crazy idea that he wants to be a Kickstarter. We're going to have to go back and mull through some of those yeah. ideas. I for, Some of them are pretty quite, good. Damn. Quite a few Kickstarters, and some of them have been better ideas than that one. Valid. <laughs> <laughs> All right, okay. We get. We got to get into this. We have, yeah. we have a real, a real long one today. Or maybe it's a short one. I don't know. Maybe, yeah, maybe my idea here is maybe we don't really have terrible. opinions about about cameras. That could be possible. Very possible. It's unlikely. Okay, we kind of teased this last week. Maybe I don't know. This is our our camera brand, on a performance review for the year. Yeah. And so my idea here is that uh, we're going to go through most, not all, kind of major camera bands brands. I said bands. <laughs> camera bands are a different thing. And we're going to talk about, I'm, I basically made a list, kind of a real quick, uh, a bullet list under each of these camera brands as far as things that I consider like big releases for the year, maybe big news or like a controversy. And we're going to go through each of these for each manufacturer. We're not going to talk about all the things. I'm going to pick one that I feel like was maybe like the biggest deal, whether that be announcement or news or whatever mm-hmm. for a brand. And like why I think it's a big deal and what it was. And then you can tell me I'm wrong and then tell me what your thing is. And then we'll do that for each one. 
And I think that's basically what we're going to do. And we'll run yeah. through. I was trying to figure out a way to score these guys to see like who did the best this year. But I can't really figure out a, a good way to do that. I think rather than scoring it, maybe it's just a subjective opinion on which brands we feel like really did had a good showing this year. Sure, sure. I mean, yeah, it's kind of like a look back on uh, what what some of these camera brands have done in 2023. It's been it's been it's been a long year, and mm-hmm. like you look at Sony, holy holy cow! Yeah, yeah. Some of these brands you look at, and it's like oh, I didn't really hear much about them, and then others, it's like wait, they released that <laughs> camera and that camera and that other camera this yep. year. So. Pretty, uh, pretty big variance, really, between them. Yep, and then you know may- maybe we'll talk about what's coming up for some of these. Maybe yeah. we won't. I think that a lot of that's going to come out of uh, maybe our camera of the year episode. Yeah, maybe so. But I mean, I do think with some of these brands, maybe the biggest news is what they didn't release. You know, like conspicuous things that are missing. Valid. So, yeah, we'll see. I don't know. Where do you want to start? I want to start in alphabetical. Alphabetical. Start in alphabetical order. Okay. And we're gonna go with Canon. Sounds good. Even though I think that. Airy would technically be above Canon, and so would Black Magic. Uh, but let's just pretend I'm bad at alphabets, and uh, let's go with Canon. All right. Cool. Dan- Daniel, got a, got would you would you like the here. honors? So I'm looking at this list of various Canon things, Canons, and I think out of what we have on, do you want, do you want me to read all these, or how do, how do you want no, to? No, no, just, just, pick, just I just want you to one. pick one. Okay. I, they aren't going to know. Yeah, that's true. There can well, be 100, 100 things on this list. Who knows? The one I'm going to pick is the EOS R8. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So that was their full-frame camera that they came out with that is priced right around $1,500. I think it might be just under $1,500. And it's a full-frame uh, mirrorless camera that actually has quite a few features from the R6 Mark II. And I kind of feel like Canon's been a little bit, like prior to this year, I kind of felt like, I felt like Canon was slipping a little bit maybe and like they weren't really releasing things that were that exciting. But it seems like with that camera, they suddenly became competitive again. And, you know, here was an option that was pretty affordable that, you know, your average like person who's serious about the camera hobby can afford, uh, but still gives you, you know, really good capabilities, gives you full frame and all that. Uh, and so I thought that was a good release. They released a lot of lower end cameras this year. They mm-hmm. filled out the whole bottom end of their line. They released a lot of lenses and all this kind of stuff. And I do think that the R8 really stands out, especially because it can do things like uncropped 4K 60 and it has very competitive video specs. They didn't nerf it at all, by, even though they brought the R6 Mark II sensor down. Mm-hmm. And then it's still decent as like a, a digital camera, you know, for, for photos and that sort of thing. It feels like a great entry level for someone who's trying to get into full frame and doesn't, doesn't want to pay, you know, full frame prices. Yeah. You can get this thing on B and H right now for $1,300. That's yeah. I mean, it feels like a steal for what you get. It's a crazy good deal. I think that's the same price as what the Fujifilm XS20 was running at. I think that's right. If that one's not on sale, I mean, that's it would be hard to sell an XS20 over an R8 at that price. Yeah, I agree. Unless I guess you need something just smaller. I'm looking up what an XS20 costs, even though it doesn't matter. So for me, for Canon, uh, it's $1,300 as well. How about that? I'm kind of having a hard time with this one because I thought about picking the R8 because I feel like the R8 is a really good option here and that's maybe their best showing for the year. I can't decide between two lenses. <laughs> this is such a common problem for you. Can't decide between two lenses. Okay, I'm gonna give it. I'm gonna give it to the Cine lenses that they came out with this year. That was released maybe a couple months back, and those are it's a series of like five 
prime lenses with like gearing and they're all the same diameter and roughly all the same weight. Yeah. And they, I mean, they, they sell these cinema cameras that are RF mount, but there wasn't really any RF mount cinema glass. Well, yeah, because they and, had the mount locked down and, you know, nobody can make uh, lenses for it. Yeah. So like right around the same time, we got these Canon ones and we got the Cook ones and mm-hmm. they're all roughly the same price. Like they're expensive, but for $20,000 or so, you can get like this whole set. And it was kind of cool to see these, you know, can cover essentially large format. And so like they'll work on your full frame red, large format red video cameras. They'll work with your uh, C70. And if they ever come out with a C200 Mark II or a C700, which was rumored for this year, but didn't come out. So probably going to happen next year. These are going to be great for that. Yeah. And so I know that like they release a ton of really important cameras like the R50. And that probably was the one I should have picked. But I'm gonna say the cinema lenses. Interesting. I could see it. Do you think do you think we got a good do you think Canon did good this year as far as kind of filling out their R line? I kinda of think they did. Uh I feel like toward the beginning of the year we were talking a lot about how Canon didn't have very many good low end options, both in cameras and especially in lenses. It felt like on the lens side they didn't really have any good APS C lenses and they didn't have affordable lenses. And I do feel like they filled out that side of the lineup and it's easy for us to forget about because we we're probably at like a higher tier of our own camera purchases in terms of how much money we're willing to spend on a camera but that low end is really important for people that don't want to spend as much money and i felt like canon wasn't competing very well there before and now they are so yeah they did good yep i would i would tend to agree i still think that the lens cost is a big question on canon Mm -hmm. they did release some interesting options that are you know less than a thousand dollars and fairly cheap cheap lenses and there's three decent primes the 24 the 50 and the 85 that you can get that are all less than 800 dollars. and so like if they have the options down there and then they keep releasing these crazy pro lenses that no one else has which i can't talk about because they're on this list and I said I was only going to pick one thing. Yeah. So let's move on <laughs> to what we can both agree is probably one of the better camera manufacturers on this list. And uh, that's Fujifilm. It's probably one of our top two most popular brands among our listeners. You think so? Yeah, I think so. Was the other one Sony? No. <laughs> the other one, I is, think. Is it Nikon? I think is it's it Nikon. Nikon? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which is a little surprising. But yeah, anyway, so. yeah. we, we obviously really like Fuji and I think it's one that we know a lot about. So. For sure. Why don't you start on this one? What'd you have? I'm going to start with my honorable mention. Oh. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's before we even get to third place. I'm pulling, I'm pulling out really, really early with that one. And I'm going to say, uh, I still want to dial. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that might have been your top choice. So Okay. But for real though, uh, the GFX 100, the second, I think was a pretty interesting camera. I think that the controversy around, hey, this is an all-new sensor. Wait, is it really an all-new sensor? And then the whole 14-bit versus 16-bit thing and the 12-bit at the burst rates was all a little, you know, what are, what are we doing here, Fuji? Why are you mm-hmm. trying to pull things over people's eyes? But then at the same time, this camera legitimately brought some great improvements, some really cool video options, medium format, a lot of improvement for the like the speed and how quick you're actually able to take pictures, more more features, more ability, a better body design, mm-hmm. taking out the you know taking out the grip, but then allowing you to be able to you know put a battery grip on it versus what they had before with the previous GFX 100 and GFX 100s, and so I feel like the GFX 100 too combines what was great about all those brands, pulls that price down seven thousand dollars, and as far as like medium format cameras that are currently available, they Fuji's like 
we're still, you know, probably the best bang for your buck out there. And a lot of people are still going to pick this over the Hasselblad. Yeah. So. Yeah, I mean, it was definitely a solid camera. I'm still really interested to see if it's actually as good for video as they seem to be pushing. I feel like the rolling shutter performance, even though they tout it as like, look what you can do, all of the different frame rate options I think are going to get confusing. And yeah. it seems like it's going to be cool, but maybe not the like primary video camera that they were selling it as. Yeah, I mean, I think it's going to be an uphill battle for them to get it taken seriously as a video camera, but they sure seem to be trying, so. Yep, they sure are. I guess for me, I mean, Fuji had a pretty good year. You know, they had cameras like the XS20 that you mentioned that, you know, kind of underrated, I think. Um, Yeah, they had some good software releases uh, with the X app, but actually I think what stands out to me is is kind of what they didn't release, which was a successor to the X100V. And there were some rumors about it during the year that, you know, well, maybe it's coming. And it seemed like, you know, obviously we've hit this point and it didn't release. So maybe next year. But I think what's surprising about that to me is that they've released, they've had some press releases here and there talking about increasing production of the X100V and they've even dropped some of their other cameras, you know, like in favor of, producing more of that and that camera's just been so popular that they can't keep them in stock and so it's been surprising to me that they haven't either caught up on the stock or released a new camera because they've got you know some large number of people that want to buy that camera and want to get into their system and can't because you can't find an x100v for less than msrp it's crazy those people's people are like one accidental google search away from the point and shoot film world <laughs> like so close i don't know I mean, if you're spending fifteen hundred dollars on an x100v i mean you might as well buy a contacts t2 <laughs> if you say so just saying probably takes better pictures i don't know about that probably i don't know about you can that. shoot you can shoot velvia on both of them <laughs> just saying <sighs> i I feel like all rumors point to the X1, what is it, X100R is... Well, I, I don't know if that's a real thing or not. That's what people think it could be called, but... Yeah, well, what, whatever the next iteration mm-hmm. is, we're looking like maybe January, February. Yeah, it's probably not that far away. I, I was just surprised it didn't come out this year. I feel like I am going to have to pre-order that camera. <laughs> if you want to get one, you probably will. You just, just like to even have the option. Yep. And you, I'm surprised you didn't pick uh, the, their most important camera off of this list. Which is what? Which would be the, the Instax. I mean, honestly, you know, we don't really talk about those on the show, although maybe we should since you're so into film now. But I kind of feel like those Instax cameras are what's keeping Fuji on the map. Because yeah, that's yeah, a dude. huge part of their market. It is It is where they're seeing the most growth. It's, it's basically why they're able to fund all these other cameras. Yep. So you, so you should have picked you should have picked the Instax uh, <laughs> Mini Evo, Daniel. You, I'm just going to tell you that you're wrong, ah. and that I like what Fuji did this year. I like what they did last year, and I think that what we're really missing from them is is maybe just better better firmware for these cameras. Yeah, everything's very capable, but it feels like a lot of stuff has kind of fallen behind. People always talk about the autofocus, which like that's the big you know glamour feature for a lot of cameras. But there's a lot of little extra things and video features that if they want to compete on video next year, like let's see some of those GFX features come down the yeah. line. I was disappointed. Sort of I was surprised and disappointed to not see any of that this year. It, it feels like they've already forgotten the X H two S and mm-hmm. firmware updates, and I'm not happy about that. 
And I do think they need to bring some of those GFX features to it. Yeah, so we'll we'll kind of see what they do next year. I don't expect any huge camera releases. And so it's really, you know, they haven't released a lens or map, so we don't know what they're doing for lenses. We don't necessarily know really what we're doing for cameras except for the new X100 camera. Mm-hmm. We'll just kind of have to see. I don't yeah. know. Maybe it'll be a quiet year for Fuji next year. Maybe it won't. Hard to say. I mean, you know, this year kind of felt a little quiet. I mean, there were only a couple of camera releases. Yeah, there's so. just a couple cameras, maybe like two lenses. Yeah. So, I, you know, I... I would be a little concerned if next year is quiet too, but I guess we'll see. I guess we'll see. I mean, Panasonic's going to come out with their new camera next year. No, well, no, I, no, next year won't be quiet in general. I mean, for Fuji specifically, right, I feel right. like they need to, uh, you know, keep the pressure. I'm on. just saying, well, we're, we're both just going to switch, and then uh, we won't have to worry about it anymore. Well, I can't because I have too many lenses. Ain't that the truth? It's called the lock-in. <laughs> That's how they get you. Yep. All right, let's talk about both you and I's actual favorite camera brand, uh, and that's Hasselblad. <laughs> You might have to carry this one because I feel like I don't keep track of what they do because I can't afford their cameras. So okay, yeah, help so me out here. I didn't really follow them at all this year. They had like an interesting lens, whatever. They had this continued partnership with Oppo, which I find interesting of you know, like, we're going to give them our color science and whatever, and we're going to put their name on our cameras. I don't know. how like, Do you do that? Because Leica does the same thing, right? And like... Do these brands make money? Do they make notable money doing that? Like, it just doesn't seem worth it. I'm sure they do. And I have a hunch that those cameras probably aren't aren't that bad. I think they're like they, it is enough of a differentiator for like the China and India markets that by putting these brand names on there, I think it matters. Uh, I guess. I, I mean, DJI does it too. They have, uh, you know, partnerships with Hasselblad on like mm-hmm. the drone cameras and stuff. But I just don't know, like, does that actually mean anything? Is it just is licensing the name? Yeah, I think in some cases, maybe it is just a matter of licensing the name. But you would think that a company like like our Hasselblad would not allow their name to go on something unless they had some sort of optical or engineering input. Yeah. And maybe, maybe they helped them do some like optical math equations or something. Or maybe they provided the glass. I don't know. Yeah, you might be right. So I'm going to say that Probably the biggest thing for Hasselblad this year is they they released the XD, X2D 100C last fall. Okay. And it was a big deal. Well, here's Hasselblad's new super cool camera. Now is that a is that a medium format camera? Or what oh, is yeah. That? It's, it's, it's medium format. Okay. I mean, us, us film guys. I mean, medium format, like it's not even 645. <laughs> what are we even talking about <laughs> it's here? A, it's really like barely worth using. Oh, jeez. Yeah. Uh, like, is it even full frame? <laughs> They released uh, a firmware update this fall for adding face detect to their camera. Okay. Face detect autofocus. That's a pretty big feature to add in a firmware update. Yeah, pretty big deal. So uh, cool. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with that. That's probably maybe the biggest, coolest thing for Hasselblad. Okay. Is that they're, you know, starting to accept that maybe some people need digital assist features, especially with a camera that has such high resolution and detail. Mm-hmm. And like you can't really punch in close enough to focus it perfectly every time. Maybe we need autofocus. Yeah, yeah fair enough. So Hasselblad's coming around. Next thing you know, they're going to be releasing a, a video camera. <laughs> kidding, yeah, I don't know about kidding. that. But yeah, I mean, I just... I, I honestly don't have much to say about them. They're not really on my radar with this stuff. I think that they're going to come out with a new camera next year. That's what I think. I guess we'll see what happens. All right, let's talk about the other big name on here, which is Leica. Yes. Everyone knows Leica. All right. I'll go, I'll go first this time. Okay. Since, I, since I, have, I haven't been talking for the last 10 minutes. A lot of cool lenses, that sort of thing. 
But what I want to mention is the M11 monochrome. <laughs> You're all about that hipster monochrome, aren't you? <laughs> I mean, this is a pretty cool camera. And, uh, you know, they, they'll do this every so often, right? They'll come out with like the M3 or the M6 or whatever. Mm-hmm. And you know, here's, here's the monochrome version. And there are people that live and die in black and white. And they just can't get enough. I don't get it. <laughs> I don't. I don't really like shooting in black and white. I do like like the, the interesting things you can do. Yeah. But I think that like is still supporting this for people and releasing monochrome sensor cameras is really important. It's pretty bold. You know, like I can't imagine ever buying one myself, and that's like an extra product for them to keep in stock and produce and stuff. But, mm-hmm. uh-huh. but like, if you're in that world, having something that gets that extra dynamic, you know, not extra dynamic range, but you know, you get more light because you don't have the color filter on there, right. and so right. you get lower noise for the equivalent ISO and et cetera, et cetera. And so it's like, this is great, and I'm really glad to see them do it. I'm glad to keep that monochrome thing going. And, you know, Leica's going to Leica, and uh, I think the M11 was uh, was a good release this year. Yeah, yeah. I think it's a good choice. Um, I actually would have gone with the M11P, uh, which is, you know, another M11 series camera. And that one, we talked about on the show a few weeks ago, but specifically the only thing I wanted to mention about it was that they had that whole authenticated picture thing. Oh, yeah. The, um, you know, the fingerprint thing that's like, you know, this wasn't produced by AI. And I guess to me, it just kind of, you know, that that's one of the first cameras that's come out that has that feature. And I think it's cool that Leica is this brand that has, you know, a lot of history and a lot of reputation just for pure image quality. And, you know, they're kind of like Hasselblad where they're, you know, licensing their name out to other companies and doing all that. But I feel like even though they have, you know, all that history they still always seem like one of the brands that's kind of doing new things and pushing stuff forward. And the cameras they release are good. And I mean, the Leica Q2 and Q3 are pretty popular and seem like they have like actual modern features. They're not like way behind other cameras. And I just like that they're this, you know, like they could just skate by in the reputation, it feels like. And like just, you know, well, we have good image quality, but like all the other features are terrible. And I like that they don't do that. And they're still releasing, you know, like new features that other companies aren't doing. Um, And I think we're going to see other cameras next year, you know, with that same uh, authenticated content feature. And so I thought it was neat. I feel like a lot of people are going to be mad that you're saying good, not great when you're talking about Leica. (laughs) And I think that you're right that this whole authenticated picture thing is really a glimpse of what's coming. Mm -hmm. And it's probably one of their more important releases because it's a symbol of, you know, here's the future of photography. Yeah. And I'm also surprised that neither of us picked the uh, like a Q3, <laughs> which as all this talk about the X100 and uh, that whatever L35 or AFM, I can't yeah. remember the name of that stinking film camera. Yeah, I mean the like a Q3 is basically the super expensive premium version of that. But yeah. maybe I just want to remind myself, or maybe I want to try and forget that it exists so that I don't feel bad for not being able to afford one. Yeah, it's freaking six thousand dollars, <laughs> like sixty megapixels, Daniel. So cool. <laughs> Okay, all right. Let's talk about let's talk about something else. Not gone. <laughs> everybody everybody that's been kind of, you know, zoned out this episode has suddenly tuned in. Yeah. Because fully, we're talking about focused. the biggest camera brand of the Camera Gear Podcast. Huge. <laughs> all right. Hit me with it. What do you got? Man, you know, honestly, this was like absolute game time decision between the two big cameras they released this year. And 
super hard to decide between them, but I'm going to go with the Z8. I mean, how could you not pick the Z8 as the biggest thing for Nikon it's this a, year? It's a pretty big release. I mean, it's a, you know, it's always seemed like Nikon comes out with these cameras that have features that are class leading and do things that other brands aren't doing. And then yet people don't think about them or don't, you know, like even though they exist. And the Z8, I think, is a great example of that, where they came out this camera that, you know, like has these 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 exciting features, you know, that like automatic shooting modes and all that stuff. And it did get more attention, I think, than most of their other releases. So I was glad to see that. Um, and maybe one of the most meaningful things is that it does most of what the Z9 does at like, what, like $1,000 less? Yeah, you can get this thing right now on sale for $3,700. Yeah. I mean, it's a pretty, you know, if you're a Nikon fan, that release had to have been really exciting. The Nikon Z9 is still one of the most incredible cameras you can buy. And the Z8 coming out with almost the same specs in a smaller body at a more achievable price was a pretty, pretty big release from Nikon. Yeah. It's very competitive and it is one of the better, you know, 40 something megapixel cameras that you can buy right now. It's yeah. very, very good. And yeah, I would. I was going to pick the Z8 if you didn't pick mm-hmm. the Z8 for their for the big showing from Nikon this year. I mean, I think the ZF is pretty cool too. That's that film inspired uh, camera. You know, it kind of feels Fuji ish, and uh, I mean that's a cool camera too. No, Daniel, you can't you can't mention other things on the list. You already said the Z8. It's an honorable mention, Lucas. You did uh, that already. Okay, yeah, true. Well, uh, I'm going to pick for Nikon this year the Plena 135 f1.8. <laughs> Why are you picking that? Nikon out is just rolling out here saying, we're going to name lenses. Like, people aren't doing that. They're like, I can't, Canon's like, here's the 24 to 105 USM 2.EFL. Yeah, it sounds like a Samsung TV. Just gets crazy. It's yep. crazy out there. And like, sure, you need all those designations. Mm-hmm. But Nikon, they're like, here's, this lens is important. We're going to call how, this one Bob. How are we going to, yeah, exactly. How are we going to tell people how important this lens is? Well, we're going to name it the Noct, and then it's going to be famous. And they felt like that they had such a good showing with this lens. They named it the Plena, and here we are, 135 f1.8. And it's not just any Daniel. This is the 135 f1.8. <laughs> so tell me which name you think is more pretentious between Plena 135 f1.8 and GFX 100 the second. The, the GFX one. That one's terrible. <laughs> like, just call it Mark II. What are we doing? It's ridiculous. So you're more into this Plena name then? Oh, I hate it as a name. I think it's awful. <laughs> but If you own this lens, would you call it the Plena? Absolutely. <laughs> I am. I, I don't like the name, but I'm super into Nikon naming lenses. Yeah. And I want to see them keep doing it. Yeah, there's more oh, character to it at least. I, right? I, yeah. I mean, I want them to like, you know, Canon, you got like L-series glass or whatever. Mm-hmm. Nikon? Let's just name the most baller lenses. Yeah. That way you know which one you have because it says the name on there it. There you go. It's perfect. Yeah, this is great. <laughs> so you got your Z8, you got your Plena 135 f1.8. It's a good You're done. Kit. That's it. Yeah. Like that's your, you know, wrap the camera gear podcast setup. <laughs> you know, I think Nikon had a pretty good year overall, though. I mean, the Z8 was a big release. They, uh, they you know, they released some other lenses too. Um, I mean, I don't know if I would say it was like a banner year for them, but. I think it was a solid showing. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I look at Nikon and I compare them to like Canon or Sony because, you know, if you're ranked, you're like, what are the top camera brands? I mean, people are going to say Canon and Nikon. Mm -hmm. Canon released 
uh, geez, like four or five cameras. Sony released like four or five cameras. Nikon released two. And they're clearly kind of running at a slower, easier Nikon pace. They're not in the yep. same race as everybody. They know who their market is, I hope, which is sports and wildlife. And and my dad. And here we are. I mean, like, yeah. they, these, these camera, the camera and the lenses that they released are perfect for those markets. Yeah. And I love what they're doing. Mm-hmm. I mean, more isn't necessarily better. And even Canon and Sony don't, like, not all of their years have as many releases as this one did. And for Nikon, I think it was a solid showing, even if it wasn't, you know, like competitive with those two brands in terms of just like pure volume. Yeah, definitely. Cool. Okay. Let's well, speaking of pure volume. Let's talk about OM system. Who? <laughs> OM system bought Olympus like last year. And now they're like our big new camera brand. You know, you keep mentioning them here and there. And for one thing, I forget that they exist, but also what did they release this year? Man, look, 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 I could find two significant releases from them this year. And so I think you're just going to take one and I'm going to have to take one. I don't know anything and, about either And of I'll these. talk about both of them because I actually have watched like YouTube videos and have looked at both of these things because yeah, I care. Of course you have. Unlike someone on this podcast. Uh, <laughs> no, just, just walk me through it. Tell me what you got. Okay. So what we're hoping for is like OM releases something new next year. Like they got to come out with the camera next year if they're going to you know stay competitive. It feels like. Like they released the OMD five, whatever again last year, like as an OM five mm-hmm. and they, they have their main camera, the OM one, the OM system OM one, which is a stack sensor, micro four thirds. It's got like crazy stabilization. It's not as good as the G nine Mark two, but that one's a whole year newer. Sure. And they're just really leaning on. Like if you want a small light, a lot of range, micro four third, really good stabilization camera, like that's super, super rugged. OM systems, your guy, and you got to get the OM one. A lot of people are still super into it, but that's like their only camera that they're pushing and they haven't released anything this year. And it's like, what are we doing? Is micro four thirds dead? I don't know. And so what they came out with this year is one, the 90 millimeter F 3.5 macro. I do think I remember us talking about that at some point. We talked about it and I was like, why am I shooting macro on micro four thirds? What about like diffraction? I mean, you're not going to be able to stop this thing down hardly at all or else it's going to diffract. And it's going to be an effective 180 millimeters. It's going to be 180 millimeter F7 equivalent, but you're really, anyways, I I don't know. I've heard this is a great lens, like super, super fantastic. And if you're in a micro four thirds world, this is a great, great, great macro, one-to-one, all that cool stuff. Or maybe it's more than one-to-one. Anyway, that was a good release if you're like in that very specific niche. <laughs> And then they came out with a new version of the Tough TG7, which was a Tough TG6 was the previous one. That one was like super, super, super old. And we're like, are we ever going to get another Tough camera? Bam. Tough TG7 came out like the next week. What's a Tough camera? I mean, I, obviously. <laughs> it's a Tough camera. You like, you like shoot pictures underwater. Like, uh, you know, okay. Stick it in some sand. I see. No, it's tough. It's, it's not tough. Just, it's not just durable. Mm. It's tough. Thing, you just throw it on the ground. It's crazy. It's like a 12 megapixel, like a 1 over 2.3 point and shoot. It's got like a 4x zoom on it, but it's it's I like... Mean, is that like a camera that you'd give to like a contractor to use? Like what's the... I mean, sure, you could do that or like you could take it on your wild adventure. Uh, you know, you're going to go hiking or something or swimming or scuba diving or, you know, you're, you're like a GoPro person, but the GoPro, not durable enough. I see. 
You get a tough TG7. <laughs> well, maybe this has better image quality than GoPro. Who knows? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's a bigger sensor. It's like twice as, twice as big? No, no it's, it's small, not a bigger sensor. It's smaller. smaller sensor. Oh, never mind. Yeah. And like, I think that the people who need a tough camera know who they are. Oh. Uh. And the, but this is there for them, right? No one else is really filling out too much of this market. There's a lot of point and shoots out there, Daniel. <laughs> but I think that like if you're looking for a a very durable option, it's cool that OM is still kind of keeping this line alive. It feels to me like in general they really need to release a new camera because you know Olympus was bought by OM System, and I mean they haven't really have they had any like real camera releases since that yeah so like the om1 and the om5 are the ones that came out okay so those actually did come out after the acquisition yes okay but it really feels like no the om1 is is a whole new camera the om5 feels like a rebrand but it doesn't feel like they've really stepped out of olympus's shadow they're just kind of like keeping the brand going even though they dropped the brand it just feels like they need to prove to their customers that they that they're taking it seriously and that they're investing in the system it almost seems like that they got into this because it's it's a niche i mean micro four thirds like there are still people who want it for the reach and for the portability mm-hmm. and for the cost of lenses and all this stuff and all the reasons the ecosystem was viable 10 years ago. People yeah. still find those as real reasons to shoot micro four thirds. And now Panasonic split, they're still supporting it, but I feel like, you know, the days are numbered for Panasonic micro four thirds cameras. Yeah, I think so. Whereas OM system, similar to Fuji, isn't in the full frame world. Mm-hmm. And I think that whenever Panasonic gives up on micro four thirds, if and when, OM is going to have this whole playground to themselves. Yeah. And I think that that's their long play here. Uh, so you think they're kind of just waiting it out? Yeah. Yeah, they're going to be the only game in town. Yeah. Well, you may be right. Not a not a big year for them, though. No, not not too big. I think, I mean, I'm hoping that we see more from them next year. Yeah. But speaking of Panasonic. Speaking of Panasonic. <laughs> speaking of having a big year, I think this was probably one of the biggest years Panasonic has had in a long time. Yeah. Like, I'm just going to say, like, since the GH5 came out, probably. I think so, too. And I think I think things really, really took a turn for Panasonic yeah. this year. Um, I mean, I I think the obvious choice for this is the S5 Mark II. Not uh, the Mark II X? No, well, I mean, kind of the same camera, but I'm going to go with the regular Mark II because that was kind of the first thing they announced and, and probably is more popular than the X. But, I mean, a big feature being phase detect autofocus and... Is it just feels like overnight suddenly they're taken seriously as a full frame camera manufacturer. They've still got all the same great video specs that their cameras have always had, uh, but now they've got face detect autofocus, and so they're more viable for photos. And I mean, we've both had the opportunity to use an S5 Mark II, and it's a great camera. I think uh, that's one of the more exciting cameras I saw this year, and. Uh, I think Panasonic is doing some great stuff. I mean, not to not to spoil anything, but the S5 Mark II is contestant for Camera of the Year 2023. Uh, yeah, absolutely. It's a, it's a pretty big deal release. I mean, mm-hmm. for years, everyone's like, man, if Panasonic put face detect autofocus in their cameras, this would be it. Yeah. We, we, we'd be done. Everyone would switch to Panasonic. And they did it. And a lot of people switched. And like I've, we've looked at the photos, we've looked at the video off these cameras, and like full vlog is so good. Yeah. 
And the, the photos are good the too. The photos are so good. Mm-hmm. Like you get just it's so sharp, so clean. The standard profile is just very, very neutral and just it looks great. Yeah. It's it's a fantastic camera. And like you can get a S5 Mark II X for like less than two thousand yeah. dollars right now. And the uh you know, the L the the L mount has finally gotten built out to where they've got a good lens selection. The lenses seem really high quality. I mean it's just that seems like a great camera system to get into. It's yeah, it's a very very good camera system to get into nowadays. You're getting all those fantastic Sigma lenses and like Panasonic and Leica, and I guess DJI now, right? Yeah, I think. I think DJI so. doesn't really make too many lenses though. No. Regardless, it's, man, if you didn't pick the S5 Mark II, I was gonna pick the yeah. S5 Mark II. This is fa- fantastic showing from them. I think that. I mean, I, there's a lot of other big news things here. It's not just releases. I, I thought about talking about Face Detect, but you've kind of already talked about it. How can you talk about the S5 Mark II and not and talk about I that? I really wanted to talk about the G9 Mark II because I think it's super interesting. But, and I'm breaking my robot talking about everything on this list. I want to kind of talk about Nextra a little bit because I have a running joke on the podcast. I have been talking about the S1H Mark II being the camera of the year 2023. Yeah. And we are in December 2023. It's not going to happen. And there is no S1H Mark II. Yeah, it's not happening this year. It has to happen next year, right? It was shocking to me that that didn't come out this year because, I mean, it felt like the S5 Mark II came out, you know, previously we had the S5 and the S1, you know, it was like the S1, S1R, S1H. It's like, Okay, the S5 is out with face detect. Like, surely the S1H uh, Mark II is coming out. No, I thought camera. I thought it was going to be September. I was yep. like, we're going to get through the summer and we're going to get the S1H Mark II. Yep. If I remember correctly, which I probably don't, was it not the S1R and the S1H? And then a period of time passed and then the S1 came out. I think that's right. And then eventually they gave a lot of the, all of the S1H features they could to the S1. And so the S1 became this incredible hybrid camera, but it didn't have the fan and it wasn't as heavy and it wasn't quite as video feature rich as S1H, but it had got everything that they could cram into it within the heat envelope. Yep. And then they came out with the S5. But this time they're leading with the S5, which I think was a great choice for, you know, get under that $2,000 mark. Are we going to see an S1 Mark II next? Or are, do you think they're going to come out with an S1R and an S1H? Uh, that's a good question. I mean, I feel like the S5 II has to have taken the bottom end of that market so much that I feel, I mean, maybe I'm just hoping, but I feel like they should release the, you know, the higher end models next because they've given people on the lower end something. I mean, we say lower end, you know, still like a $2,000 camera. But sure. They've given like that lower Mid-range. end something and now, you know, like the, the higher end people are probably still going to hold out for an R or an H. And so I think they should probably do that next. But I mean, if you're you not know. shooting Leica and you're looking for like a 40 plus megapixel high end camera for all of your sweet Sigma lenses, like all those really good fast art lenses, mm-hmm. I mean, an S1R Mark II with face detect is going to be great it's gonna be super super great and i would be interested in seeing something where the s1r mark ii is basically a z8 like the same sensor but panasonic and then maybe if we're if we're fortunate and you know the panasonic gods shine down upon us we'll see an s1h mark ii that is an a9 mark three sensor oh, with the global that'd be interesting yeah 
I, I don't know. I mean, they're buying yeah. Sony sensors. Yeah. I don't know what Sony's going to give them. Don't know what, like, who know, who knows? Yeah. S1H Mark Mark II, camera through your 2024. <laughs> Call it out now. <laughs> well, we'll see. I, I would be shocked if that if if they didn't release some sort of S1 series camera next year. That's That is probably the second most. What I'm looking forward to next year, the second most. Mm. Man, I'm looking forward to hearing what the first most is. I mean, is. you already know. It's the X100, <laughs> right? Like, I want to see what Fuji's going to do with that thing. But Fair. second to that, it's going to be this Panasonic camera. Yeah. Okay. Let's talk about uh, camera brands that you don't actually even know exist, which are the Pentax slash Ricoh. Because I think Ricoh owns Pentax. You know, I've heard of those brands, but this is one where I just... Yeah, they're they're totally off my radar. I don't really know what they've released or what they're planning to release. Okay, so like Pentax is holding the stake in the ground for DSLR cameras. Mm-hmm. They are the last holdout. Like we are not going to mirrorless. If you want a reliable, the battery lasts for a month DSLR camera. I mean, you're gonna have to buy a Pentax. It kind of feels like the OM system thing where it's like they're holding that niche. Yep. And okay. Like, I, I have what I want to pick to talk about this. Okay. I assume you don't know anything about any of these Yeah, things. I'm not picking one on this. They released two 50 millimeters at the same time. They released a 50 millimeter 1.4 HD and a classic. That's, uh, that's, that's like on the level of like a releasing a monochrome only camera. I mean, these <laughs> Pentax and Ricoh are like, they see all of those people in the point and shoot film world and like who are still shooting film and they go, we're the mar- we're, this is our market. We're going to release a 50mm 1.4 lens that's just a repackaging of a really, really old design so that it looks bad. That does feel like something you would be into. Valid. <laughs> okay, so my, my pick here is that there was a rumor. There was a rumor it was going to happen this year, and it didn't. And so we're talking, hopefully next year, maybe next year, Pentax is going to release a new film camera like a point-and-shoot film camera. Do you think that's something that might make it into your home? I don't know, man. <laughs> Anything could happen. Sounds pretty interesting. Uh, you know, we've seen a couple of things like that recently with uh, like that Kodak Super 8 thing finally came out. You know, there's a little bit of a, there's a little bit of a return to nostalgia with some of this stuff. And so, I mean, I think that there's few enough people doing that that they'll probably sell some if they come out with a new film camera. I haven't done really too much research into modern film cameras. I know like there's the Kodak ones and I think Leica, I'd be shocked if they didn't. Leica makes some film cameras. Yeah. I, I assume that's still modern versions. I, yeah, I bet but, they do. But like I don't know, you know, with modern lens mounts, modern camera companies, who are making film cameras anymore? It feels like most of the film world is finding and shooting old stuff because there's so much old stuff. They yeah. sold millions of Canon AE1s. Yeah, well, and it's cheap, too. Like, that's got to be a draw to it. Yeah, I think it is. You know, people want to try something new, try, get into it. The film isn't cheap, but the cameras and the lenses can be found for pretty mm-hmm. cheap. You can get some FD lenses for 25 50 bucks if, yep. if you're looking for something that's not uh, a legendary lens. So it's going to be interesting when they release this new film camera how are they going to make that profitable? And, you know, what price point are they going to go for? I, I don't know. I mean, most of the stuff that we see are these, like, $50 F8, you know, like, what's meniscus-style lenses that are just super, super simple. And, like, people are buying those because it's like a lark. 
And it's interesting to see Pentax and Rico potentially rumored to come out with, like, come into this market and say, you know, everything is going to age out eventually. People are still going to want to shoot film. Maybe they don't want to pay a like a price. Yeah. Maybe they're willing to spend $800 to $1,000 on a brand new film camera that has modern features like autofocus, a meter that's clean and is maybe a little better, and like you know, modern things for people who are interested in getting the best image out of their film. I don't know. It could be interesting. Yeah. Or maybe they're just going to drop a, like a $90 point and shoot film camera that competes with uh, that Canon one that I'm looking at. <laughs> or, and, uh, I don't know. Maybe that'd be cool too. Yeah. I mean, maybe the strategy question there is, will be the most interesting thing to see is, you know, what market they go for. Yeah. I'm sure we're both going to miss it whenever it comes out because, uh, Pentax. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I'm not on the Pentax beat. That's for sure. Yep. Okay. All right. Let's, uh, let's talk about Sony. Oh my gosh. How long do we have? Do we need to dedicate an entire episode to the Sony review? Yeah. I mean, we're actually going to go through every every camera release from Sony instead of doing uh, does you pick one and I pick one and we're just going to do maybe like 45 minutes on each one. Oh yeah, that sounds good. Yeah, let's yep. do that. So uh, Sony Cast starts uh, here and just go ahead and put that <laughs> chapter marker in. <laughs> do you want to start or do you want me to? You you go ahead because oh I am gosh. on the fence about there is oh my gosh, Daniel, there's some really huge things on here and I'm having trouble picking yeah, one. Yeah, honestly, this is hard and you know, that's uh, it's a point in Sony's favor that they have released as many cameras as they have this year, and it's still hard to pick between them because you would think, you know, oh, there's a bunch of releases, like they're not putting as much effort into each one or something like that. But no, they have a lot of really interesting stuff. So it is hard to pick, but I'm going to go with the A9 Mark III. That was the most Sony camera. It was. Just, yeah. They out-Sonied themselves with that yeah, one. Yeah, because so, they've always had that thing where it's they're, they're the spec leader. And yep. Regardless of anything else, they're going to be the ones with the leading specs. And that camera, you know, more than anything anyone released this year was a spec leader camera. The first one with global shutter. And, I mean, all all the YouTubers are going crazy about that camera. 120 frame per second photo is unbelievable. <laughs> it is. I know that, you know, we're not really going to see these things until they start hitting the market in, like, March. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. you know, we're probably, we're probably going to be talking about it, you know, sometime early next year. But... Yeah. Just the splash that this thing made. And I know that a lot of people are like, eh, you know, Global Sensor has been around forever. What are you talking about? Blah, blah, blah. Like, you haven't really, haven't really had Global Sensor in with, like, these autofocus capabilities and this resolution and this type of body. It's just huge. It's This is, feels like the next, the next revolution in photography. It probably is a sign of what most cameras are going to look at, look like, you know, let's say in, like, you know, two years from now or something. Right. Especially if they've solved a lot of that uh, dynamic range problem with global, global shutter. Yeah. It's, it's great. And you know, I, I'm, I'm dying to see like what the images look like, the actual noise production out of this thing. How usable is it really in like high and low noise environments? And man, this, yeah. it's, it's going to be something really interesting to yeah. watch. And it was a pretty surprising release too. I mean, they kind of just dropped, it felt like they dropped it out of nowhere. A little bit. And, a little uh, bit. Yeah. Pretty and neat. we're still all really confused about the name. Yes. Yes, we are. Okay. I am like just on the fence here about whether to pick the ZVE1 or the Burano. <laughs> that is a hard choice. Because I have been like on the fence about, you know, maybe I should have a ZVE1. Maybe I should just get one of those things. You haven't been on the fence about whether you should have a Burano? No, that's outside of my budget range. I mean, I'm not on the fence about whether I should have one. I feel like I should have that camera, but... 
I feel like I shouldn't have paid for that. Camera. I am actually going to pick the Burano <laughs> because for that camera is amazing. Like so obviously step above the FX nine and I feel like it, it made a splash when it hit. And a lot of people are like, this is so crazy. And then it kind of like died off, I guess. But well, I mean, it's just not available yet. <laughs> like it, I think that, I think all the ones that they're currently making have already been purchased. Like, and, but, but the, but nobody has the camera yet. So I think maybe it's just a you know, long lead time. Maybe that's why it's kind of. Yeah, I, I, I guess so. But for like a single user, small film project, $25,000 film camera, with like enrolled ND and IBIS, like the first time they could put those together, take that black magic, just all of the things around this. I mean, we, I would like go back and listen to the episode on the Burano. This was just a fantastic camera and like a really, really interesting showing from Sony as closing the gap between the Venice and or the Venice two and the FX nine. Cause that, that was a, that was a huge gap, Daniel. Mm-hmm. And this is, this just sits perfectly in the middle and it's great for like one man, you know, small crew productions, documentaries, all that kind of stuff. And it's just fantastic. Yeah. I mean, it kind of fits into a niche that there really aren't that many other cameras in. Yeah, sure. you know, especially in terms of like the, you know, run and gun solo shooter type use case, there's really not that anything else in that price range. It really bridges the gap for people who are looking to get the highest and most quality they can, but they don't necessarily need to be shooting in the data rate raw profile formats of like the Venice mm-hmm. and, you know, the the red cameras are in this price range. You can get a, yep. like a V Raptor Super 35 for whatever, $16,000. And then you rig it out and it's, it's 24. So like the, the red is in this price range, but it's not the same thing. Yeah. It's not, it's not really made for like quick delivery, solo shooter. Correct. Sort of stuff. Right. Like you don't, you're not getting like Ibis and like these, I guess you can get built in NDs, but like the Ibis and the NDs and like the single user stuff and the autofocus and all the things that would normally allow like mirrorless cameras to be a highly effective, fast turnaround type solution they took all of that and they put it into what is essentially a cinema camera yeah and like it's it's kind of a different thing out there and i think it's something that fills a lot of gaps for people Mm -hmm. and it was just fantastic release to see yeah i mean i think this was a great year for sony both of the cameras we talked about feel like they kind of like defined a new space for cameras that we haven't really seen other companies take on Mm -hmm. and i think that's a good spot for sony to be in where they you know, they kind of release the first version, kind of define that camera area, and then eventually the other camera brands will catch up. But I mean, Sony clearly has a dominant position in this market, and they, I think, I think rightfully so, people see them as being like progressive with their technology. Definitely, Sony. Yep. Okay. The next one on my list here is Airy, and honestly, I have nothing to say about Airy. Yeah, it's, they released the the Airy thirty five last year, which I thought was like the most incredible camera ever. Mm-hmm. And they don't release cameras every year, and they kind of like just do their Airy thing, give people tours, they exist, and they make a bunch of money. Yeah, I, yeah, I don't, I don't know. There's not much to say about them. I mean, I think let's just leave it there. Yeah, let Airy keep Airy Airying, yep. and uh, yeah, let's move on to. Everyone who wants to be airy, but for way cheaper, nah. Black Magic. And Black Magic did have a bigger year. Mm-hmm. They, released, they released quite a bit of stuff this year. Um, 
I mean, out of, out of this list, I feel like I'm no, stealing. No, 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 no. I'm jumping yeah, in here first yeah, because you went first for Sony. Yeah. DaVinci Resolve 18.5. Oh my gosh. Yeah, you got it. Yep. Nope. I'm, I'm picking it. Yep. That has been so good. <laughs> <laughs> this was the first. You you had used Resolve a little bit. A little bit, yeah. Um, last year. For me, this year was the first year I used Resolve. I was using Final Cut Pro before. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was surprisingly easy to learn. And some of the features in Resolve, specifically in 18.5, have been game changers for the stuff we do. Absolutely. I don't remember if 18.5 was the one that released the... Was that... That that didn't include the camera, like the cloud coordination collaboration stuff. That was 18 flat, right? I think that's right. Right. But like that whole us being able to work on the same project, but not in the same place and just live collaborate on a project was the whole reason we switched to Resolve. Yeah. And then the sheer number of features in 18.5 and like the text stuff and the voice isolation and like the the color management things that they did and like the motion tracking. Oh my yeah, God. It was a huge release. It is. It's, it's unbelievable. Like, I, I, I can't even think of words to say because it was like editing in Final Cut, you switch to DaVinci Resolve and it's like, yeah, there's feature parity. And then they come out with this release and it's like all of the stuff of like, what AI is good for, for, you know, like, you know, all this talk about chat GPT and image generation, blah, blah. I'm like, what can AI do? It feels like they shoved all that into the um, NLE that we're working in and legitimately made our work faster and better. Yeah. I, yeah, I can't say it any better than that. I agree. Oh, man. So good. <laughs> If if DaVinci Resolve was a camera, that would be camera of the year 2023. Yes, yes it would. Um, I'm not going to pick their camera that they released. Yeah, I uh, wouldn't either. Yeah, a little, <laughs> little underwhelming maybe. Um, I'm going to pick the Blackmagic iPhone app. Yeah. Because that, that came out when they did their other announcements in the September timeframe, right after the iPhone was, uh, the iPhone 15 was released. And I think that app was a surprise. I don't think people saw that coming. I saw quite a bit of pushback on it when it came out and people saying like, oh, why is Blackmagic making iPhone apps? They need to stick to making cameras. And I didn't really get that. I, I didn't understand that because to me, it's like, this is great. We need a easy to use pro video app for the iPhone because I've used some of the other ones that exist and I always found the user interfaces confusing and it was like, this is an app I'm going to use you know, once every three months, I'm not going to remember how to operate it. And that's annoying. And this Blackmagic iPhone app is great. It's super easy to use. It provides some features that the built-in one doesn't have. So like you can actually record Apple Log to HEVC rather than only ProRes, which is awesome. And uh, we've used it on some interview shoots and we've actually been able to take that footage and use it. So it's awesome. You can record log internal with that app, right? Uh, yeah, you can. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's an, another another big ad. So it's it's a really cool thing. I've I've been, I've used it on my my twelve, and I'm into it. Yeah. Like if I'm shooting video, it's nice to be able to have all those manual controls. It's not as good as the fifteen because I still have all the tone mapping. And I can't shoot log or whatever. But yeah, I thought yeah. that was a really cool release. I really like how they have all the cloud integration with like release the app. They updated eighteen point six for uh, DaVinci Resolve, and then. They have this, like you can shoot and record and upload to your your editor live, yeah. and it's like the camera to cloud thing that you know other companies are doing, but it's DaVinci Resolve, mm-hmm. and 
don't know. I think that those integrations are really, really interesting. And it's cool to kind of gain the ability to like send out a bunch of people who are going to shoot you know, in the field or on a vendor or whatever, just with their phone. Yeah. And like, it's going to look fine mm-hmm. if you have like a really fast turnaround and then you can just have that automatically running back to your editor who's oh, like yeah. pulling footage and that sort of thing. Yeah, so it's kind of cool that it opens up more possibilities and things that you couldn't do before. Yeah, I agree. Do we need to talk? I put DJI on here because I was trying to list like cinema camera brands, but DJI didn't release like a new camera this year. They released way too many drones. Do you want to talk about DJI? Not really. I, we talk about DJI quite a bit on this show. And yeah, they're kind of camera adjacent. If they released a new Ronin 4D, we would absolutely be talking about it, but they didn't. So If they released a Ronin 5D, what would be the fifth dimension? <laughs> <laughs> That's a great question. Okay. Do you want to talk about Confinity? Um, I don't know anything about what they released this year, but if you do... They they did release the Mavo 2 in both large format and Super 35, and that is all I know. I think that Kinfinity is an interesting brand just because I really want to own a cinema camera someday, and they feel like a more affordable option than some of the others, but I don't know enough about their cameras to know if I would choose them or not. Yeah, I'm kind of in the same boat. It feels like it does a lot of the things and like you can do some raw recording and you can have a box camera and, you know, kind of check some some of those boxes for cheaper. And it is cool that they're like, here's an actual like 35 by 24 sensor at a reasonable price. I think the LF is like, I don't know, $6,000 or $7,000 or something mm-hmm. like that. And so it's it's competitive and it's interesting to see another option to compare the Komodo X to. But it feels like most people are probably just going to pick the Komodo X over yeah. the Confinity. Unless yeah, they're name, really into Confinity. Name recognition, if nothing else. Yeah, for sure. Which, let's let's talk about Red. <sighs> if we have to. Do, do you want to pick anything off this list? Let's, let's have you start. Okay, I'm going to go with the V-Raptor 8K Super 35. And I'm picking this over some of the other things on this list. Primarily because they released it in Rhino White. And it was super duper sweet looking. <laughs> it was. That's, and then the second thing is that they released the V-Raptor 8K last year, which is large format. You know, it's like 40 something by whatever. It's basically 35 by 24 full frame, yeah, large yeah. format. And super cool. We all love the V-Raptor 8K. Great camera. And then, you know, some of us still prefer Super 35 for video. And I think it's cool that Red recognizes that and that the the 8k super 35 it has full parity of features yeah to the raptor rep the v raptor 8k it wasn't like a lower end model or anything it's cheaper because a smaller sensor Mm -hmm. it's interesting that it can't do more like you think that you could be, be able to push that smaller sensor farther but it doesn't it's just a smaller sensor version so if you need like a slightly smaller 8k camera or you need more reach, or you just want to shoot Super 35 because you have a bunch of old vintage Super 35 lenses and you don't want to have to, you can't like made it onto your large format camera and you need something like this. Yep. There it is. And so I thought it was really cool that they, they you know, everyone's like large format, full frame, full frame club. And Red realized that they have a market still for Super 35. And I was really happy to see them make this and not make just like a budget version. Yeah, I agree with that. 
I don't know if I really have anything to pick from their releases this year. You I gotta mean, pick the Komodo X. The Daniel. Komodo X would be the obvious other one. I don't remember enough about it. I mean, I feel like Red is basically staying the course. I mean, you know, you describes the you know the exciting things about the V Raptor AK Super Thirty Five, but I don't feel like they're really doing anything new right now. I mean, they're just kind of doing their same thing, and their cameras are super popular. And, you know, a lot of people are using them for higher end stuff, but I guess I just, I don't see them like pushing things forward in the way that some of these other companies have. I think that like bringing the, bringing raw and like red raw down to a more accessible price point has been a lot of what they've done. I mean, you look at their top end camera, the V-Raptor, it's still, you know, half to a third the price mm-hmm. of an Aria Alexa of similar caliber. And it's, it's more economical. And they're just, it's incredibly good image. And I think the Komodo X is super important because they came out with the Komodo, which was a global sensor camera, 6K, et cetera, et cetera. And they intended it really more for a crash cam. And then people started using it for like a cam, whatever, because it was the cheapest red camera you could buy to get into red raw. Yep. And it turns out it was a decent little camera for a lot of people. And Red recognized that. And so they put a higher dynamic range rolling shutter into the same body. And they came out with the Komodo X. And they were like, if you're going to use this as an A-roll camera, let us give you a real, like, A-cam that's that size and that's a smaller price. And, like, they met the market where they were. Yeah. And so I, I think that it's, yeah. I think it's good that, like, Red has, is watching their market. And they're not just saying, like, here's the V-Raptor large format. Like, this is the best of the best. And this is what we're going to sell for Hollywood. They came out with the Super 35 for the people that need to reach and need those those lenses. They came out with the Komodo X for the people who are on the lower end. And I think that Red is like cares. And even though they're doing stupid stuff like suing Nikon for raw internal, (laughs) they did drop the lawsuit. I didn't realize that. That was like back in May. But I feel like they're they're caring about their customer base and they're doing things to meet them where they are. And I think that both of the camera releases this year kind of reflected that. Okay. Yeah, I can buy that. I mean, I can't buy that. I can't afford it. But Oh, oh yeah, sure. Yeah. Okay, the last one I have on here, I don't really have anything to say except for I saw one of their cameras at F1 whenever I went to F1, and there was like someone there with, with a Z cam, but the next one on this list is Z cam. Yeah, I mean, Z cam exists. Yeah, That's, Z cam exists. Thing. They made the list. I think I think them making this list <laughs> was probably the biggest news this year for Z cam. You're right. You know, I, when we talked about their cameras of, you know, a month or two ago, it kind of seemed like they're their cameras sound exciting, but then when you dig into them, they're not, they're not actually like worth buying in a lot of cases. And so I don't know if the one they released this year is the same or not, but, um, I like that they're out there. I want to see them keep innovating. And I mean, I think if they, you know, a lot of the issues that I had when I looked at their stuff was things like weird software limitations and things like that. And those feel like solvable problems. So I want to see them, keep being successful and keep improving that stuff. And they may get to a point where their cameras are solid competitors to some of the other options. Yeah. I guess I really want to see cameras companies like Z cam and Confinity pressure Panasonic into making more box cameras. Oh yeah. And then that, that's really the only thing I want out of them. Yes. Yes. S one H Mark two box camera. Yep. Bring it. Cam- camera there 2024. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Wait, that's, that's basically it for my list here. As yeah. far as camera brands, I, I I'm sure I, I'm sure I missed one. I probably should have left Nikon off the list until <laughs> this moment because that would have been really, really funny. Uh, but I didn't, I mean, we talked about a lot of different stuff here, Daniel. 
do you think, like, who do you think kind of came out ahead this year as far as doing maybe the most interesting things or having like the most interesting release, um, all the different things we talked yeah. about, what would you kind of throw out there as the, as Man, the top thing? It's hard to, you know, this isn't camera of the year, you know, which is a, a different discussion, but to me, it's, it's really close between Panasonic and Sony. And I think I'm going to give it to Panasonic, uh, wow. because they finally got the face detect. And I feel like that, put them on the map for a lot of people. I think there are a lot of users that wouldn't have ever even considered them because they didn't have face detect. And now that they have it, I think that 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 makes them a viable option for a lot of potential customers. And then they had the S5 Mark II that was like legitimately a really good camera. And yeah. I, I think that was this was a big year for Panasonic. Yeah, it's hard for me to disagree. I, I feel like companies like Canon did their homework. You, you got to fill out that bottom line. You yeah. got to release these lenses. And they, just, they, they took it in stride and they did what they needed to do to keep their camera mount competitive and like keep teasing people. They're going to open up their arm out. They're not going to do it. So like, I feel like camera just did their Canon camera. I feel like Canon just did their homework. Mm -hmm. And as far as, you know, really kind of coming out swinging, Panasonic is a big one. And it's it's also it's really hard not to give it to Sony. Yeah. They, the the landmark releases this year with the Burano and the A9 Mark III were pretty huge. And the stuff they're doing with like the AI autofocus and all this sort of thing, it feels like Sony is still pushing the market and like making good sensors for all these camera companies. And man, I I think Sony had a really big showing this year. But I would agree that I think that the S5 Mark II kind of made such a huge splash especially for like YouTube camera people and that sort of thing. Yeah. At that price point, it kind of feels like it brought, brought Panasonic back from the dead. I agree. And made them a legitimate player in this market. And so, I don't know. I, I guess I'd give it to Panasonic as well, but, you know, it's a almost a tie with Sony. Yeah. Yep. I agree with that take. Cool. All right. You got anything else, Daniel? And what's our, what's our next topic? Oh, I think we, I think that's enough for today. I mean, we talked about every camera brand. <laughs> we don't do that very often, so... Did we though? I bet we missed can, one. Can you name one camera brand we didn't talk about? Insta three sixty. Oh, that's true. <laughs> Go GoPro. Sure. If you if if you're listening to this and you're upset that we didn't talk about Insta three sixty, just listen to last week's episode. You'll be fine. <laughs> or two weeks ago, actually. Sure, yeah. valid. I mean, those aren't real cameras, though, right, Daniel? Nah, I don't know. <laughs> what, what are we doing? Fighting words. We, we yeah, we should talk about Apple. They released a camera this year. Oh my gosh. No. <laughs> I almost put Panavision on this list. <laughs> they made in 2018 or it was like 2016, Panavision made cameras with red sensors. Wow. Didn't, yeah. Didn't know that. True story. <laughs> All right. I'm going to have to cut you off before you come out with more esoteric knowledge or before you start talking about film cameras again. <laughs> okay. That's it for the show today. Thanks for joining us. And if you liked it, tell a friend so they can check it out too. You can find out more about the show at www.cameragearpodcast.com. And you can find us on Twitter at Camera Gear Pod. We'll be back with more next week. <laughs>